Content presented on the following podcast is for information purposes only. The views and opinion expressed from host and caregivers are solely given based on the experiences of the individuals involved. Because each person is so unique, always consult your physician, physical or occupational therapist for medical and fitness advice. Are you struggling to help your aging parents or disabled spouse to do everyday personal care tasks? Are you concerned about them falling or you injuring yourself? What is the task that is so difficult for you to help them to do? You are not alone. We can help. Finding a Foothold is a weekly podcast show that invites you to call in and tell us your challenge. Here, you can receive practical tips and strategies from an occupational therapist and from other caregivers like yourself. And here is your host, Consuela Marshall. Hello, I'm Consuela Marshall, occupational therapist. Welcome to Finding a Foothold, a community of caregivers who've had caregiving challenges and have learned many lessons along the way. We know how you do things and having the right equipment and support can make caring for your loved ones easier and safer. Stay tuned. You hear from caregivers that call in and share challenges they face today and you hear tips from experienced caregivers as we work together to bring hope and improve how you give care. Let's get started. Hello, this is Consuela, and thank you for joining in again for another episode of Finding a Foothold. And in today's podcast, I really want to bring some clarity to some families who are facing decisions about their loved ones who are currently in the hospital and who are facing discharge. And there needs to be some decisions made about whether or not their loved one is ready to come home. So as a home health therapist, we are often confronted First of all, before we meet a patient, we're often confronted with their medical history, which gives us a lot of detail about what has occurred, what the injury was, and what type of deficits have resulted from the injury. And it often details what surgeries, uh, what complications, and what progress has been made to date. And it paints a picture for us of what we're walking into, what a person's functional status is like before we enter the home. And I must say, we see a wide range of deficits in the home, meaning deficits that a patient may present with in the home. And we see varying varying makeups of, of family dynamics. I mean, who's living with that person when we arrive and we're taking note of are they temporarily there just to help with the settling back in of a person into their home after a hospital stay Uh, whether that caregiver or that family member is going to be there for a while or if they just going to be there a couple of days who does that person live with on a full-time basis and in just in just a quick observation and assessments we're we're taking in consideration of what the patient's functional status 
will be and what type of support they have at home. And unfortunately, this assessment needs to take place prior to the pay, to the person arriving back at home. Oftentimes, by the time they're back at home, families find themselves not prepared and they have maybe not made the best choice of how the patient is going to be cared for and what is the, the support network at home that's going to assist in carrying out this care that's needed. So today I want to just provide an opportunity for family members to consider some options prior to making that decision to bring their loved one home. And it all goes back to the beginning. It starts at the point of the injury. When a person has sustained a major injury or illness and there is a significant loss of strength and mobility, it changes the whole dynamics of what's going to occur next. And oftentimes it is a major illness like a joint replacement or a stroke, but oftentimes it could be something we think as minor sometimes as a urinary tract infection because any of these diagnoses or illnesses can result in a loss of function, a change in cognitive status, and just a generalized debilitated state. And many hospital stays are not extended. When a patient becomes stabilized medically, hospitals then begin to look for options for placement of a patient so that they can continue their their recovery period. The best case scenario would be, hey, it was a minor setback and the person is ready to go home. But oftentimes, patients are still exhibiting significant deficits far above what the ordinary family is equipped to handle. So let's talk about some common transitions that can take place once a patient becomes stable medically to a degree, but they still have this weakness and this decreased functional status. Number one would be for them to be transferred to an inpatient rehab unit, but qualifying for that inpatient rehab unit requires that a patient meet certain criteria. And that number one criteria is that they be able to endure up to three hours of therapy at least five days a week. And if a patient has the strength to do that, then yes, the rehab unit would be the best place for them to continue their recovery. But oftentimes, patients become so debilitated from the illness or injury that has occurred or just have become debilitated due to the prolonged stay in the hospital with them being in the bed for extended periods of time. And the result of that is they are just weakened by the fact that they have just not been able to get out of bed. And when this has occurred, our rehab units are just not the place because they do not have the strength, they do not have the endurance to endure such a strenuous workout that is required on the rehab units. So what's next? What is the next option for them once they're medically stabled? And oftentimes it's the skilled nursing unit. It sounds like a great place, skilled nursing unit. Yeah, it's a place where they, the patients continued nursing care. 
In addition to receiving physical, occupational, or speech therapy that is needed, but without that criteria of it having to occur three hours a day. And it's a wonderful alternative for those individuals who are still weak, but it often comes wrapped up and boxed up and placed in a facility that many patients are fearful of hearing the word nursing home. Now, there are skilled nursing housed inside of hospitals, and those are great alternatives, but not many hospitals have sections and wings of the hospital or floors of the hospital that are designated as skilled nursing units. And those who do have those units, they often fill up pretty quickly. Being on a waiting list for a skilled nursing unit is really not an option for most people because you have to be able to leave the hospital pretty quickly. And then becomes that word nursing home. And this is when the panicking, the tears, the screaming, the kicking, the, oh my Lord, they put me in a nursing home starts to kick in. Patients are crying. Children are crying. There's a lot of, oh, I never thought I'd have to put my mom in a nursing home. I promised her I never put her in the nursing home. And I can understand that. There are some places that are not providing the care that should be given. And there are some places that are just bad. Look, there's bad everything. You just have to do your homework quickly. And most often, you can find someone at that facility who can be open and honest with you. And, you know, for the most part, I have seen that the skilled nursing units, the therapists there and the nursing in those specific areas really do good care. So I wouldn't dismiss it immediately, but I would definitely do my homework quickly. So let me try to explain a little bit how this skilled nursing care in a nursing home facility actually occurs. Let's talk about that. Skilled nursing care, a skilled nursing unit, which is housed in a nursing home. Receiving extensive therapy Occupational speech or physical therapy in a nursing home is a great alternative. And oftentimes, these skilled nursing units occupy a certain wing, a certain set of rooms within the nursing facility. And oftentimes, these patients are not intermixed with the general population of the nursing home. So the message that needs to be conveyed to your loved one is that they are not being placed in a nursing home that they're only going to a nursing home facility where a skilled nursing unit is housed. And in this nursing facility, the whole goal would be to give them the intense therapy or nursing services that they need so they can get stronger, so they can then return home so that you can provide the level of care that they need in the home. So again, it's a great alternative but they've just got to get over the word nursing home and concentrate on the fact that it is skilled nursing services being performed in a place that is housed inside of a nursing home. So I want family members to really take advantage of any opportunities that may present themselves 
that would allow for their loved ones to regain as much strength, to, to regain as much of their functional skills before they return home. So I hope this provides a way for you to explain to your loved one what the skilled nursing facility is. And for family members, I hope it gives you a peace of mind that you're not abandoning your loved one, but that you're just giving them an opportunity to further improve. And by doing that, that would increase the likelihood of you being able to better manage their care when they do return home. So one thing you can always know, they're not signing up for anything permanent unless you decide to make it permanent. And then those options will be presented to you at the time you're needing to make other decisions. Most home health therapists really want you to consider that before you bring them home because then it gives us the ability to have a stronger person to work with and fine tune and work on those skills and taking the skills that they've learned and the things that they've accomplished on the skilled nursing unit and then when they are now in the home setting it allows us to take those skills and make them specific to their home the methods that have been taught to them in the skilled nursing, we can make sure that those translate into the home setting and they can use all those skills to function in their setting at home. And that's what home health is about, helping the patients to acclimate back into their home setting while utilizing the skills that they have to the best of their abilities and thereby diminishing the roles of the caregivers or the uh, burden to the caregivers in the home. So I hope that brings some clarity to families who need to make decisions about should mom come home or should she go to the skilled nursing unit. Consider the skilled nursing unit if you can see that you are not equipped or not able or the home is not set up to provide for the care of mom or dad. And consider skilled nursing units as a viable option for their loved ones to continue to get strength and to recover from major setbacks due to illnesses and injury. So I hope that helps with your decision making. And this brings us to the end of this segment of the podcast. And stay tuned. Our calls are coming up next. Take care. Hello, the first call today is from Brenda from South Carolina. Brenda called in stating she called in last week, but she forgot she had another question. She says, my mom also wants to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, but I'm afraid that she will fall during the night. I have purchased a bedside commode and placed it next to her bed, but she refuses to use it. Is there any way I can convince her that it is in her best interest to use the bedside commode at night. Well, Brenda, I really appreciate you calling back in this week. I really like that ideal of her having the bedside commode at night. And as I went back to listen to your call last week, you mentioned that your mom was fiercely independent. And yes, I can see with that description of her personality why she would not want to use the bedside commode at night. Brenda, I'm not sure if you are living with her and you're there during the night, but what I would encourage you first is to observe her at night. 
really take a, a look at what's going on. So I, first of all, start by just observing her at night, watching her at night to see what's going on. And as you're watching her, just make note of her balance, her level of alertness, because maybe she takes a medication at night that makes her not as 100% alert while she's walking. And maybe you can point that out to her and maybe that can appeal to her. Maybe she just doesn't see all those components that you see. And really asking her, what is it about it that makes her the most resistant to that? Is it that she just doesn't want to deal with the emptying of the pot the next morning? Or she feels a little um, embarrassed that you may have to empty the pot in the morning? That may be something that may key into the whole situation itself too. So I guess getting a good grip on what is really going on during the night. Is she safe? then yeah and even with her being safe I would even add in some components of some type of call alert button that she can just alert you in the event that something occurs during the middle of the night and she needs help that could also give you peace of mind but the bottom line is if she doesn't want to do it she's not going to do it but if you can appeal to her emotional side of it is well mom if, if you're going to do it can you please at least agree to wear this necklace to call in case something happens or you could even appeal to that side of her to say mom it's not about you not being able to do it it's just that i i can sleep better just knowing that you're not up and walking to the bathroom I know you're safe, but I just can't relax and I'm just up during the night concerned about you when you're walking to the bathroom. And maybe just her knowing that you'll sleep better if she's using the bedside commode instead of walking to the bathroom may just make her say, okay, I'll do it for you because you've done so much in caring for me. So maybe that will appeal to her but yeah it is it's hard when mom has her own way of doing it then you just want to make sure she's as safe as can be and if the option of calling you each time she gets up into the middle of the night is an option you know you can always go to that as well thanks for giving us a call and brenda i am really appreciating the fact that you are so concerned for mom and you are definitely watching out for her safety thank you and look you can still call again anytime have a good day. Our second call is from Mary. Mary is calling in for herself. Thank you, Mary, for calling in. Mary is concerned because she lives by herself, but her son wants her to hire 24-hour care because she is starting to have some difficulty doing things around the house and she has had a couple of falls recently and she wants to know what can she do to convince her son that she is able to continue to live by herself hi mary thank you for calling oh i'm so excited that you've called in and i really appreciate the fact that you want to continue to live by yourself. But Mary, that's a difficult question to answer. There are so many factors that play into this with you. There are so many things that you have to take in consideration, Mary. First of all, what has led to the falls? Has that problem resolved? 
Was it a balance problem? Are there tripping hazards in the house? What are those things that are high priority things that need to be done on a weekly basis that you're no longer able to do? Your meals. Is it bathing? You've got to think through those things. I would encourage you to have a hard conversation with your son and talk through those things that are very pressing, that maybe you can come to some type of compromise in those areas where there are high risk. I mean, do you need a housekeeper that can just come in once a week or twice a week to do those things that you can no longer do? Do you need to only do bathing when someone else is in the home? There's a big gap between living by yourself and having 24-hour care. So I would explore all of those options in between. And I believe that there needs to be a common ground between those two extremes Mary, maybe it is time for you to have more help doing the things to better manage your life. But then do you need 24-hour care? And can you afford that? And number two, can you afford not to have that expense if you are at a high risk for falling? Then maybe you need to look at other living arrangements But I think there's oftentimes a lot of things in between that can be considered. So I would start that conversation with your son and maybe get in a home health agency or an outside set of eyes that can help you all problem solve and looking at those things that you should no longer be trying to attempt to do by yourself. So I would explore those options And there are tons of things that you and your son can talk about together. I encourage you to really think about that and really give give me a call back and maybe we can talk in more detail about some things. If you need some additional help, you can contact me at findingafoothold.com and maybe I can give you a little bit more specific things to consider. But yeah, I wouldn't just say, no, I don't need any help. But you may need to look at what degree of of assistance that you do need in the home. Thanks, Mary. And I appreciate you calling in. Take care and please be safe. No more falling, okay? No more falling. Have a good day. So callers, I do want to use this opportunity to mention the consulting service that is available through the website. And with this consulting service, you get to really talk through those specific needs that you have and a customized plan could be discussed and developed that will give you some direction and insight as you work to improve safety and improve techniques and improve how you provide care and how care is received in the home. Because there are a lot of unique situations where there are a lot of components that must be considered. So check out the website and visit our consult page and learn a little bit more about that service. Thank you. The next call is from Jennifer. Jennifer called in to say that her husband just had a shoulder surgery and was given a blue sling to wear by his surgeon, but he refuses to wear it. What should she do? And should she be concerned about it? Okay. Thank you, Jennifer. 
Thanks for calling. I've worked with a lot of shoulder injuries and shoulder surgeries, Jennifer. So I think I can really picture that shoulder sling that you're referring to. It is a shoulder immobilizer and it is key to correct positioning and supporting the shoulder after a surgery. So I would just encourage you to appeal to your husband to keep the immobilizer on because you definitely want it to heal properly. And there are times that you do take it off to do the prescribed exercises that the surgeon has ordered. And if you all have, if he's attending outpatient therapy or therapy in the home, you definitely want to just make the therapist aware of his compliance or non-compliance with wearing of that sling. But he definitely needs it on for uh, whatever protocol that the surgeon has ordered. Yeah, he needs it on for his own safety and it would definitely promote proper healing of that joint. Hey, thanks for calling. And if, if the problem is putting that thing on it is is definitely a headache the velcro sticks to everything you loosen up one thing to try to tighten it around the part that goes around the neck or around the the body and that velcro sticks on everything and it's hard to get it on but the more you do it the easier it gets and uh yeah it just needs to be worn easy easy fix if the surgeon says wear it he needs to wear it It won't be long. He'll be out of it soon, but these initial weeks are very critical. Thanks, Jennifer, for calling. That's all you can do. Thanks, Jennifer. Have a good day. And as a therapist, I just have to just say in general, not just to Jennifer who just called in, but to those patients that have had a surgery, it is important that you comply with what your surgeon said. As a therapist, that's one of the most, I think it's one of the most annoying things that we have to encounter is you've gone through the risk of having a surgery. You've gone under anesthesia, you've been cut, and you've got that whole healing process to go through and then you don't want to follow the instructions. Like, why did you go through all of that? You know, you've done the hard part. You've had the surgery and you probably put it off as long as you could put it off till you couldn't stand the pain anymore or it just needed to be done. And now the part of just letting it heal properly is the part you have to continue to do because you don't want to undo what the surgeons worked hard to put in place. You don't want hardware backing out, the pins coming loose, that becoming an unstable situation with a joint that has been repaired, whether it's a hip, a knee, a shoulder. So just be smart. Do the things that your surgeon or your doctor has asked you to do, and you'll be through that little recuperation phase before long, and then you'll be so happy you did. But yeah, I guess I just had to add that in because that's one of the common things that we see as therapists is that people don't comply with what the doctor's asking them to do. So just be more informed, and that's what I want you to be more informed so you can make better decisions in your care. All right. Let's move on. And the final call, last one coming in from Louisiana. She did not give her name, but she is having a problem dealing with guilt. So let's listen in and 
I want to encourage you caregivers to call in because this caller can really use some words of encouragement and I would definitely appreciate your input in this situation. Thanks. Hi, I'm calling from Louisiana. I'm a caregiver and I just would like to find out or get some ideas on how you deal with feeling guilty. The guilt feelings associated with caregiving and, and not being able to do things the way I used to do things. I'm experiencing a few health issues myself, and I just don't have the energy. Uh, and sometimes I feel like the desire to, to do the things that I normally would do in reaching out to uh, the person that I was caring for. Um, I'm getting a break from it at this point because they're um, in a facility uh a much needed break and I just I don't even feel like I want to get it started back or not necessarily want to start back I don't have the energy or even the capacity in terms of my own health to do the things that I was doing I also need some help with uh, getting that person motivated to, to start doing things uh, on their own, just the push and the extra drive that's needed to get up and get going or to get the resources, reach out for the resources that's needed. There seems to be absolutely no desire or want to just kind of sit around and wait on me to do it all. I can't do it anymore. Uh, and I'm experiencing guilt associated with not being able to and not even wanting to. Uh, help me with that, please. I'm not even sure I'm expressing it the way I need to. Uh, if you can give me some kind of advice on that, I would appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Hello, Miss Louisiana. Thanks for calling in. I really feel your heartache and the struggle that you're having. My heart goes out to you. And this is a very, very difficult question that I can tell you right off the bat that I don't have all the answers. And I can only give you what's on my heart right now. I have determined in my life that guilt will not hang around for long in my heart. I do think there's a place for guilt for a momentary check in our hearts. If we've done something we shouldn't have done or there's something that we should have done and we didn't do it, there's that, that momentary guilt which tells me I need to be a better person. I need to do the right thing. I need to go and make something right in my life. But guilt can move into your heart and really take over because it will require more and more and more and more of you giving away yourself into a situation that is not improving, that's only getting worse. So you haven't told me who that person is. So I'm going to go with just it's a family member. You're display of love and affection and caring is not based on how much you do for a person period your display of love is in you making sure that they can receive the best care possible but that does not mean that care will come from you period if you're not able to 
provide that best care, then it cannot be you. You can only do what your body allows you to do and nothing more. And right now, in displaying that love, you also have to start setting the limits and the boundaries in that relationship. Because if you don't set the limits, guilt has a way of asking for more and more and requiring more and more of your life. So let's just say that person being in a facility right now could actually be the wake-up call that you needed all along because apparently you were doing too much. I want you to start by thinking, where is the guilt coming from? Is it coming from within you or is it coming from the person you're caring for? If it's coming from within you, I challenge you to ask what in your makeup, in your being, has allowed you to think that you can do everything for someone? That's a big, tall order, a big hat to wear. What within you says you have to be the one that can do all of these things at the expense of your health and your family and your job and all those other things that are important to you? What in your life allowed you to assume this role in your heart? What or who has put this criteria on your life? Who has given you a definition of love that is distorted? Love is not giving away all of you. Love is not losing yourself to do something else for somebody else. True love is a give and a take where you're gaining and you're becoming stronger as they're giving into you and you're giving into those areas in, in their life to complement things in their life. But it is not an emptying of yourself, a breaking down of yourself in order to be a part of somebody else. The other thing is, is that person making you feel obligated and they are taking less of the responsibility for their health, for they're not motivated. They have behaviors that they're not really they're not willing to let go because they have a way of drawing you in and you fulfilling those roles in their life. Those are, those are just Consuela's one-on-one definition of guilt that, that comes to my heart because I've felt both of those feelings and neither one are healthy places to be. So both require intervention. You need to find a place, a person, somewhere to go to validate who you are regardless of what you're doing for somebody else. You're still a loving person. You're still a kind person. You're still all those positive attributes that we want to have about, about ourselves, regardless of what you your limitations are. And you've got to separate your limitations from guilt. Your body will tell you what your limitations are. Your mental health will tell you what your limitations are. And from your call, I feel that you're maxed out in both areas and things are going downhill and you're going to hit rock bottom if you continue in this method of caring. Number two, the other person, they need help. They need help in realizing they have a role to play in this whole thing if they're cognitively able to. Now, if this is a person with dementia, then, you know, this is another whole ballpark. And yeah, that's that's another whole realm. They're not able to. But then that doesn't mean you have to. 
It just means you've got to get the specialized care to keep that person safe. And you can't do it alone. Your loved one is definitely making decisions by not making decisions. And you have to accept that as their decision. If they are capable, but choosing not to make the arrangements, make sure when they return home that things are in place that are going to be needed, then returning home may not be the option. And this is where you can probably talk to the discharge planner, the social worker at the facility, and let them be the go-between, the one that puts it in writing, the one that has the checklist, and that's presenting the checklist and the resources. But you've already said that they're choosing, they're waiting on you to do the things. Well, it's really not your responsibility, but it's a role and a contract you two have made together because it's the way you've, all, you've both functioned in the past. But you need to break that contract and say, I'm no longer the keeper of this contract. I will help you in any way and I will love you in any way. And I can do what I need to do within the limits of my abilities, but I cannot be the all. I cannot be the everything in this situation any longer. I hope this makes sense. And just please know that this is about setting boundaries delegating to others, delegating to your loved one the things that they need to take care of and finding help together. Look, you can still love that person, care for that person and support that person, but you don't have to do everything for that person. The bottom line, there is a limit. So I just want to just say, you're being my thoughts and prayers that you're able to make the changes that you're needed. In order to continue to experience this freedom that you have right now, just think how are you, the things that you're getting to do, there's nothing wrong with wanting to enjoy your life. This is the only life you have. And believe it or not, they're apparently enjoying this control that they have over you. And it's just not the way you want to continue. So I hope this, I hope this helps. And community, please chime in with emails at contact at findingafoothold.com, at cmarshall, findingafoothold.com, or just call it in to the call-in line, leave a message, and I will replay them on upcoming episodes and definitely will help pass this information on to the caller, Miss Louisiana. So if anyone has any support that they can offer in the way of great counseling, great support groups, great books, great just anything that you can share with Miss Louisiana that would be, help them make this transition into one that's going to be healthy and um, peaceful and one that's just going to be a better fit for both persons. I really appreciate any support that you can give them. And thank you. So, Miss Louisiana, I hope this information is of help to you. And again, I want to just say to Miss Louisiana and to all of our listeners that more help is available if you need to have more specific information to help you navigate through a struggle. I want to encourage you to visit the consult page on our website and check out some opportunities for you to get some one-on-one help and some strategies to use to make caring for your loved ones easier. And thank you again for joining in. 
Hope you found information helpful for your situation and you're beginning to envision yourself as a successful caregiver. Remember, you cannot do this alone. So if you have a question to ask or a word of encouragement for another caregiver, I encourage you to call in by visiting the findingafoothold.com website and using the call-in button. You can find this podcast on our website and on all the major podcast streaming sites. We also ask that you share our podcast with others who are also navigating this challenging caregiving journey. Join us again next time. Finding a Foothold cares about how you 